G'day, Merlin. My name's Chris Stevens. I'm the CEO of Coda Minerals. Uh, we have a copper cobalt project in South Australia, six hours north of Adelaide, and we released a scoping study over the main copper cobalt mineralization at Elizabeth Chris, Creek today. nice to meet you. Um, thanks for joining me on the call. Let us have a quick look at this scoping study because it's... Um, I mean, you, you use quite a lot of language in there saying that this is a, a serious bit of work. The team has put many um, man hours into it, or person hours, I should say, these days. Um, you know, it's a comprehensive scoping study. So let's just kind of have a quick look at, the, at, at it. Can you start off with the headlines? Yeah, look, the headlines of the scoping study, we have about a 14, we have a 14 year mine life. Uh, producing copper cobalt in two stages. The first stage is just one year, and that's from MG14, and that's to produce a copper cobalt concentrate. And then stage two, or phase two, which is about 13 years, uh, going downstream and adding a hydromet plant to produce copper, co uh, copper cathode, cobalt sulfate, silver dorian, zinc carbonate, all very saleable products. And that, that does two things. It stages the project early on to drive cash flow and reduce technical risk. Uh, but it also gives us much more control over marketing in the uh, longer term and produces products which are obviously highly saleable in a world that's looking to decarbonize. In terms of the headline financial figures, uh, there's a pre-production capex of 277 million Australian dollars. Uh, that's for phase one. The peak negative cash flow um, is 438 million dollars, and that's against a pre-tax NPV of 570 million dollars with an IRR Good. of 27 lots, lots of information in there to unpack. Um, you mentioned... Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you mentioned um, MG14 as, a, as, your kind of, as your starting open pit. Um, you, you mind, the, the, the main deposit is, is ME Bluff, which is a um, sedimentary-hosted um, kind of stratiform package, and that's down at 400 metres. So you've got, the, you've got to put the, the decline in. So the plan is to put the decline in. And while you're putting that decline in, you, you're taking, um, you're, you're able to mine from, it's not just one open pit, is it? You've got, you've got two or three open pits that you can work out, or is, it, or is it just the one open pit? No, it's two open pits. So the first open pit is MG14. That's a relatively smaller deposit. Um, and then the second one is Windabout. Windabout is much larger. The resource is approximately 18 million tonnes um, and what we've done is really optimize that to high grade it as much as possible. There's no doubt Windabout is the more challenge of the, challenging of the three deposits. Um, and so the plan would be essentially to mine MG14 and then the best bits of Windabout as the decline is going in, that drives early cash flow. And especially with MG14, um, you can sell a concentrate, which again, as I said, reduces technical risk and also drives early cash flow, reduces funding requirements. Um, then as soon as ME Bluff, as soon as you're into uh, drive ore and then into production ore uh, at ME Bluff, you'd obviously be switching to that deposit. Um, wind about at this point in the plan filled in a little bit at the back end as well, just to take it to a total what's, 14 what's, year mine what's life. What's difficult about wind about? Is it geometry or is it metallurgy or is it both? Uh, it's slightly lower grade and there's a little bit more overburden. Uh, and so what we'd be really looking to do is to take the highest grade parts of that and use it to drive early cash flow. The way we've optimized it, so the resource is 0.77% uh, copper grade from, uh, and the what we've effectively done is optimize that to approximately 1.7% copper uh, equivalent in that. So it's really still driving what I would call world-class copper grades from an open pit. Um, that drives early economics, and then you're into ME Bluff, which is 1.86% copper. So again, it's 
these are very or copper equivalents, I should say. These are very solid and the, the, grades. The equivalence there. comes from the the cobalt contribution and the silver contribution. As a uh, when I looked in your scoping study, uh, the the sensitivity analysis yeah. is most sensitive yeah. to um, to copper grade. Just well, without a and, doubt, and and um, the exchange yeah. rates. I mean, the, the 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 Aussie dollar exchange rate was a, was a crucial one. But in in a sense, that's kind of linked to the the, the copper price because it's quoted in in, in US. And as I say, every project is sensitive. Every project like this is sensitive to essentially the same things. The Aussie dollar FX is obviously very material, and I think that applies to everyone. In reality, by the time you go through to DFS, it's probably less sensitive because you'll have worked out which part of your uh, which part of your capex you're sourcing from abroad. But really, if it affects the copper revenue in the same way as the copper price changing, um, obviously very sensitive to copper. This isn't one of those projects where you really need all four of the minerals to work. Uh, the copper and the silver are effectively pretty irrelevant, or certainly immaterial within the overall plans. It's the copper, copper and, and the cobalt, cobalt. Are the key drivers, and the silver and the absolutely and the, what, what the zinc are very much immaterial. You, you, you said they're, copper and yeah. um, you said uh, cobalt and copper. Uh, anyway, we, the, there was a mix, but so the most important ones are copper and cobalt. Uh, the least important Correct. are silver and zinc. And um, what's the what's the um, kind of the split as a total of um, copper revenue cobalt revenue and uh you're testing me now it's about it's about 70 percent copper 25 percent uh cobalt and the rest what, is silver and you, zinc how did you set your prices i i know you, you work with your consultants on this but how did you set your kind of your scoping study prices for copper and cobalt because those are the key drivers absolutely look we we did what we think is uh you know the sensible thing to do which is to rely on independent forecasts so uh we look to the consensus forecast which is effectively the uh, average of all of the sort of key uh forecasters out there uh, we also looked at what other people are using as well and overwhelmingly eight thousand eight hundred dollars per ton uh us was the average number i think we looked at about 12 different copper projects in different countries and that was overwhelmingly there's a few um one one was using 9600 another was using 95 another was using 9300 uh we didn't see many projects other than ones that sort of put out a study years ago using less than 8800 this four dollars a pound seems to be this sort of standard that we see and we thought that was a pretty rigorous thing to do with cobalt it's harder to it's obviously harder to do that but we, again we looked at the consensus forecast and we also looked at benchmark minerals forecast which is uh, certainly, in my opinion, and based on my research, the the sort of most knowledgeable organisation yeah. when and it comes of course, to that. As as the, the 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 big thematics of the energy transition, electrification, do kind of come to greater maturity, where everybody is expecting the copper price to go higher. Um, the, the, when everybody thinks something, there's always a risk, of course. But um, um, certainly, that the I think people that looking at code of minerals will be. Uh, uh, accepting of the copper thesis and the importance of the metal in the industrial complex going forward. So um, uh, it's highly likely that when you come around to the feasibility study, you'll be using a higher base case uh, copper price. I would expect it to be significantly higher. Um, you know, there's been many articles over the last just few days. Uh, I think there was Trafigura was quoted as saying they're looking at about $12,000 a tonne copper by the end of the year. Goldman Sachs, obviously, is probably the most famous forecaster talking about $15,000 copper. And within the study, and we, you know, we, we did put this in the economic section, which was effectively a, a flex down to about $7,000 a ton and up to $15,000 a ton. 
Uh, and obviously the NPV backing of $15,000 a ton is quite astonishing. I, uh, from memory, it's about $2.2 billion NPV that we, we ran that flex, you know, ran that flex up. Um, so again, we used, I think, very conservative and sensible copper prices. At those prices, it is based on my research, a best in class in terms of its internal rate of return, just as 26.5%. Um, all of our peers generally in the low 20s and even the mid-teens in terms of copper at the moment. So I think one, it's incentive pricing has to change. And two, that Coda has put out an extremely strong peer comparable um, you know, best-in-class uh, internal rate of return. It's harder to compare MPVs and CapExes because they do vary enormously, but the capital efficiency on this is very strong. 438 peak net debt, 570 million uh, pre-tax NPV. Um, and again, the, these are very healthy um, numbers. We have to touch opinion. on the market, though, because um, the scoping study, and not just not just in CODA, but in right across the sector, uh, the market isn't rewarding these technical studies showing high returns. Um, um, CODA is not alone at trading at a fraction of its NAV based on the on the technical study. Yeah, look, we, we, we're trading based on our close today, just under 4% of our NAV. NAV. Um, again, looking at peers, the average seems to be closer to 15 to 20%. So, um, you know, day one, it, it is very, very, uh, it's dangerous to judge anything on day one of releasing a study, especially on such a challenging day. The Fed decision last night didn't help. Um, and people aren't that willing to talk about funding uh Funding risk and developing projects when you're possibly teetering on some quite challenging economic climates. The thing I come back to here is fairly simple: is one when you look at the peer group in copper, and it's possible I look at this into Australia-centric way. And we've certainly looked at other countries as well, and we've looked at what Goldman Sachs is saying, at what Trafigura and what uh, Robert Friedland said recently at PDAC um, as well. Uh, uh, sorry, I mean in Darba the. Reality is that, you know, this comes down to basic economics. Copper is facing a huge deficit. What people always get wrong in mineral economics, in my opinion, is the time frame of elasticities. So elasticities in the short term, i.e. how much demand can change. Well, we see that the we see that the uh, stocks of copper reducing markedly. Um, we see that copper is you know, obviously hovering around about 8,900 uh, this morning. But in the longer term, where is that additional copper coming from? Well, it's not coming from Chile in any meaningful sense because one, Chile and Peru in particular, you're seeing increasing resource nationalism, uh, you're seeing declining grades, you're seeing uh, mines shut. Uh, you know, Africa, there are some fantastic mines coming online, um, Camula Kakula this year, there's a couple other big ones, but there aren't any more in the pipeline that are significant there. Australian copper, you know, the incentive pricing has to increase. So to my mind, copper is one of those things, you know, you talk about the lithium boom. Lithium is in the long term highly elastic. We know where supply can come from. What we have to do is be able to bring it online. In copper, it's completely the opposite story. In the long term, supply is incredibly inelastic. And I believe a lot of that supply, by definition, has to come from projects like the Elizabeth Creek project. Um, it's in a stable jurisdiction. It's got fantastic ESG credentials. It's Australia's one of the world's most renewable energy grids. This will be a very, very energy uh, friendly, low energy usage, low capital intensity project in a fantastic location. And so that incentive pricing, in my opinion, has to increase. Um, that's aired at today's spot price. This is still a project with an MPV over half a billion dollars. Um, so again, it works right now. 
it'll work a lot better if coppers goes where um, people yeah, are talking about. Yeah, I completely about. agree about that supply inelasticity. And that's really a function of the copper sector being a very large sector. You know, it's producing over 20 million tonnes of the stuff on an annual basis, and it's mature. You know, the, the, the mines are old. They're long in the tooth. They're, they, um, the, 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 fun enough, in Chile... There was a hiatus. There was a kind of a, a, a resource nationalism kind of um, fear for a year or two, but it's it's back on. But it doesn't mean that it's easy to turn up five million tons of of, of production. In fact, I think Kadelka was talking about needing to invest a lot of money to prevent their output falling from four million tons to one point seven million tons. But you know, that's that's a topic for another day. So so I completely. Um, I could talk about yes. this for a very long time. It's an area of passion, I have to say. Uh, you and I should go for a beer. Um, <laughs> but, um, but back on um, Coda Minerals specifically. Yep. So you're trading at a discount to your peers, even within uh, uh, Australia. So really what, you, what your, your job is to do in the, in the short term is to try to find ways to uh, unlock your discount relative to your, to your peers. And, and that in itself is a three or four times... Uh, upside for um for coda so uh have you thought about and i know it's it's, it's very early days on publishing the, the the scoping study but um when i look at the the next steps and project timeline that's included in the in the scoping study which is really kind of how to advance it to pre-feasibility study that's a kind of a mechanical set of things that you need to do I wonder if um, yeah. if you've got a kind of a marketing or a kind of a communication plan to just try and understand how to close the discount to your peers for similar stage projects. But the, the short answer is yes. And, you know, I'll sort of talk to a reasonably high level about this. But the first point is today has been a rough day. I was possibly not expecting it, though. I mean, I would say if there were more students of history in this uh, industry, we'd actually have a much stronger industry because people do not look enough at comparable comparisons. They don't look at what generally happens. Now, if you're a fan of feasibility studies and scoping studies, uh, which I am, I've been a study manager and working at this level a lot of my career, um, you know that the day that companies put studies out, generally the share price goes down. It's almost 100% correlation. Um there's a few reasons for that. I think first is that drill results do seem more, they certainly drive the market harder, especially with retail shareholders. Day one, retail shareholders tend to react. And it tends to be over the next month to three months that especially if the company and the, the CEO is doing, doing their job properly, you know, they're out talking to funds, they're out talking to sophisticated investors. They're also making sure that they get the message out to those retail shareholders that are more sophisticated and take time to do research. So day one, there's a big reaction to whatever the headline numbers are. Those headline numbers are almost never understood in the context of the market, almost never understood in the context of peers. Um, and that seems to be a challenge. So from day one, you have to start again. What you're doing when you put a scoping study out is you're putting out a piece of work which talks to every sophisticated fund, every sophisticated retail shareholder, people who do their research, you're talking to the BD departments of other companies and you're saying, this is our project. And uh, you mentioned before we started recording that, you know, you'd read the project, you'd read the study and that this was a very comprehensive and detailed study. It's 100 pages. Uh, most of our peers are 30 to 60 pages. There's two reasons for that. The first is that this is a statement of intent about the kind of company we are and the kind of work we do. We are detailed people who do things thoroughly and well. The second aspect of that is this 
is was a challenging project at the start in particular we had to deal with some challenging metallurgy with the separation of the copper and the cobalt which we uh addressed and we fixed and the, you know, the results of that are in the study the second part of this is without a doubt as a flat dipping ore body at 400 meters below the ground this was a challenging mining proposition to get right and we had a couple of starts where you know we had to go out and find the right people and we did and I believe that the quality of that work is far beyond a scoping study standard of work in terms of its detail. Um, you know, we built the mine plan, we went back, we completely re-optimized the mine plan for Elizabeth Creek, and then we re-optimized it again in the context of the whole model. Now, some of that comes through. Why isn't it a PFS? A couple of things that we haven't finished yet. The first is variability work within the Met. Um, so we need to do more Emmy Bluff specific work. The second is geotechnical risk. And any underground projects has the same risks. Geotechnical is significant risks. Um, so once those are addressed, I would be a lot more comfortable calling this more of a P PFS level um, study. But certainly large parts of it are done to a much greater level of detail than you'd expect to see in a scoping study. So you asked about the marketing plan. It's day one. We've put out a really thorough study. This is a statement of intent to everyone about who we are and what the project is. There is a comprehensive data room available. Um, and from here, you know, I'm heading east on Monday. Um, I'll be talking to funds. I'll be talking to our major shareholders. I'll be making sure I get this message out there in terms of peer comparisons, in terms of that tough day to day on the market, probably as much to do with what happened in America overnight and how people are feeling and far less to do with the project. Um, but I believe, again, I come back to the RR. It's, it is uh, at the very top of his peer group. Uh, the technical levels and risk have been addressed very thoroughly. And I honestly believe that that will stand out. So, you know, maybe don't judge us on day one, judge us on day 30 um, well, after release that's, as that's well. That's the opportunity, isn't it? I mean, that's what you're working to do. Is, is, um, let's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a bad day in the markets um, because of the, what's happening over the pond. Um, but now, now your work in a sense... Uh, begins the outward facing work begins now that you've got a document that you can walk around with and put on the desk and say this is a um yeah. this is a marker this is kind of a, a a mark in the sand a line um demonstrating value um i'm interested yeah. that you talk about pre-tax mpvs and pre-tax irrs uh and, and that your peers do i i'm i'm more used to seeing post-tax but um I, you know i can i can see it in the document it's it's there the information is there I could uh, I could go on about this for a while, actually. And, you know, having run studies my whole life, I've only ever really thought about post-tax NPVs. Um, when I started doing research to make sure that we were coming in, so there's a couple of things you do. Obviously, you make sure you comply with ASIC and ASX rules and you look at other studies and you say, OK, how is this done? What does this look like? How do people present things? And the overwhelming uh, theme that came through this was using pre-tax NPVs. And I spoke to a couple of people, head of research at one of the big brokers here, friend, a friend of mine who is a you know, professional M&A advisor. And they said, look, Chris, the reason you use a pre-tax NPV is because uh, you don't know what your tax base will be when you develop this thing, the first point. The second thing is, and probably more importantly, is that uh, funds and companies that look at this, uh, especially media departments of large companies, uh, you know, they have a very fundamentally different tax base. They judge their own projects internally on a pre-tax NPV. And therefore, that is the headline. What I think is very cynical is when companies do not put a pre post-tax NPV anywhere in their study, and I could name five off the top of my head. I won't. 
Um, but I could, maybe more. And so what we have done has been very open. We've been open about what worked. We've been open about alternative methods. So we talked about looking at concentrate-only sales options. We looked at alternative methods of mining, which we're still working on with mechanical mining, which has the potential to be really up, you know, significantly uh, uplifting for the project. Uh, we talked, So we talked about what worked, what we're working on, and what didn't. And we also made sure we provided all of that full information. So it's all there because... You know, again, I talked about being a I'll tell you what I also noticed um, is that the Australian Stock Exchange doesn't have a requirement to publish the whole um, scoping study. You can just publish the executive summary. And in, Austra- yeah. and in Canada, the Stock Exchange puts in as a requirement to publish the whole study. You have published the whole study. That we haven't actually. The whole study is about oh, five hundred okay. pages. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I said we were thorough. Okay. Well, you've, you've, it looks. It's more than an executive summary, anyway. So no, that's good. So so. I bloody hope so, it is. Yes. So, so no. tick tick. Um. Good. Um. <clears throat> right. In terms of um. Treasury, your your the the I, when I look at the next steps in the project timeline, you've got studies to go on the use of XRF sorting, mechanical cutting, additional exploration at ME Bluff. You spoke about doing that met- variability work and geotechnical work. Um, what's your kind of allocation of funds to the kind of the technical work for the course for the remainder of the year and into 2024? Right, so there's $6 million in the bank as of this morning, and we have a very low corporate cash burn rate. Um, I'm finalizing forward work plans at the moment. Uh, Effectively, we have most of our focus uh, will be between now and the end of the financial year will be on finalizing the mechanical cutting studies. Uh, We we have, uh, talk about this separately, but some ongoing exploration at two areas within uh, Elizabeth Creek. Uh, the first is the deeper ICG mineralization, where there is work on going on that. And obviously, I have my budget allocated with that. And then the um, copper cobalt at Cattle Grid South as well, which is a sort of a side project, which we may one day look to integrate with the overall scoping study. It's, it's effectively an MPV increase. Uh, we're driving early cash flow and increasing IRR quite significantly if it works out. Um, we're obviously working through that at the moment. So uh, exploration outside of the main study area and then within the study areas continuing to work on the mechanical cutting which is well advanced looking at the xrf ore sorting both of these are extremely low cost they're primarily desktop driven and most of the work has already been sunk and paid for so we're really just finalizing that um the next stages on site uh you know unsurprisingly the critical path is heavily driven by approvals uh, we have an excellent sort of in-house field team and we will continue to work effectively using in-house resources uh, to drive a lot of those early studies. You know, the, these are ones that require a significant amount of person hours, but not necessarily a high expenditure. In the longer term, we will need to go back out and do a small amount of infill drilling and drilling for geotech and variability as well to gain more sample. Um, that's not urgent, um, but it will certainly need to happen before a PFS good, is completed. Good. Thank you. That's, that puts me in the picture. Um, just talking about the, the exploration, I'm an exploration geologist, so I, I get excited by this. Um, when I look at your um, share price chart over the last couple of years, I can very clearly see the kind of the discovery of high-grade IOCG mineralization at depth. You know, we're down at 900 metres, and the market goes, way, 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 we've found another Olympic dam. Um the yes. the what I can see also from your news releases is that you've continued to define high grade mineralization, but the scale hasn't come. Um, 
are you are That's you right. going back to geophysics to kind of to rethink your targets? Are you able to get more uh, uh, clarity of of structure or lithology at depth through through different kinds of targeting, not with the drill rig? Yes, absolutely. So obviously, drilling is expensive. The market rewarded us very very quickly and very very hard uh, from the first discovery hole. I mean, this is not an unusual story in the industry. Um, we raised money. We put every cent of that money into the ground. We were very, very disciplined. We um, got that work done. And off 21 holes, 19 hit mineralization. Um, we used a sort of technique of drilling angled holes and then some wedge holes off of that. Um, the wedge holes really, they resulted in some very strong this you know, mineralization, um, but it tended to be over a couple of loads. So what is really, you know, unusual, uh, I would say unique about MEIOCG is these small, very high-grade conduit areas where you see what looks like a very large traditional IOCG in the more Carapatina Olympic Dam, certainly Carapatina sense, but it's on a very small scale. And so we've got three of these where you go classically from your pyrite to chalcopyrite to bornite and back again. They look like a real IOCG. They smell like a real IOCG, but they just seem to be smaller and they're sitting there in the metasediments. What we're looking for is the structure and the area where enough pressure can occurred um, to create that brecciation that gives you the space to drop out a significant amount of copper. So we're looking for that structure. I personally find it very hard to believe that you could get what we're seeing at the existing sort of MEIOCG discovery area without the existence of that major structure. I mean, there are very few plausible explanations other than there's something dead. Where it is and how deep it is and how far offset it is is something that we're trying to work out. So as you suggested, we're using geophysics. We just ran what's called an ANT survey using fleets technology, and I would recommend that very highly. I think the results have been absolutely spectacular than everything we hoped for. Um, we're then running, or right now, literally as we speak, we have people in the field running tight space forward gravity. Um, if those correlate, and I hope and expect in many ways that they will, uh, we will have targets where the next stage of hypothesis testing uh, would not be a significantly expensive endeavor couple of options there obviously fund that organically that depends on the share price um you know after a day like today i'm sure it wouldn't surprise you to say i'm not crash keen or looking to raise any money anytime soon um but again circumstances change and you know look at where we are in, in a month's time um in terms of the share price in terms of that support after been on the road to all the funds the second option you know and again I know we talked about copper briefly, but in, in what is one of the world's most precarious economic situations for a very long time, uh, copper, with the main user of copper having just unleashed COVID across its almost entire population, we're still seeing $8,900 copper. So I, I see that there's a lot of upside there. The other option, of course, is we use some of that information and go and find credible funders to go and do this as well. Um, I believe absolutely this is, these are targets worth drilling. I believe that we're doing the right things. And they will absolutely get drilled, but we have to do that in a sensible way that doesn't dilute our shareholders and doesn't dilute focus away from the very real scoping study work yeah, that we're doing on copper cobalt. Yeah. So, a couple of challenges ahead, but I think you know I know that we can meet them on that ground. I'd very much look forward to seeing the the results of the geophysics. But um, yeah, um, me too. Or, um, cattle grid. How much? Uh, yeah. How much work are you going to be doing there this year? Have you got a kind of a budget in terms of drill meters, perhaps, or hard dollars? What's the, what's the plan at Cattle Grid? 
We haven't made a formal decision to do that. And again, some of that will depend on the next phase of work and where we allocate funds within the copper cobalt. Uh, but put it this way, I, I have a view that we should be able to take that through to having really good basis for a resource and RPE with less than about half a million Australian dollars. So this is not an expensive undertaking at all. Um, the number I was pushing for was about two to 300K. Uh, that's going to depend on the drill on drill rig availability, these small programs. If, if we've got a rig on site and we can dip down and do this with the same rig, that will obviously reduce costs. But yeah, we're not talking okay, huge good. money. That, uh, that all sounds very sensible. Um, Chris, thank you very, very much. Um, I've got a much, much better understanding of the company now and the various projects, which I think is the point of these interviews uh, for, for me to yes. educate myself and in the process, uh, the viewer as well. Um, can you just... Yeah. Uh, block out for me kind of um, quarter by quarter what the kind of the news flow is going to look like for the rest of the year please yeah absolutely so in terms of this interview again i would point shareholders or about people who are interested towards our uh towards our website and towards uh both the most recent interview with your colleague matthew uh which i thought was a really good one as an introductory and also my most recent speech at the resource at the riu Fremantle explorers both on the front page of our website in terms of quarter by quarter, really over the next quarter, uh, we'll be building on the next phase within the scoping study. So that, that will be important on the copper cobalt, uh, completing the work on mechanical cutting, completing the work on uh, ore sorting, and then looking at some updates to the study um, as we move through into PFS. So I expect to see that. Um, certainly we're looking through again at funding solutions and the next stages. We've applied for a major grant with the Australian government, so we, we, we remain hopeful uh, in terms of that for the next stage as well. Um, outside of the scoping study work, we're obviously looking to finalize the resource and associate information, mini scoping, um, I would call it with, uh, or a concept study might be a better phrase, with um, cattle grid and looking at the integration of that. And then also possibly with the biggest, highest risk, highest upside reward, of course, remains the IOCG. So look out for that geophysics, that could absolutely be game-changing um, and again looking towards funding funding solutions with that as well to get the next phase of drilling underway so that that's going to be a pretty busy over the next two quarters um, certainly beyond that we're looking at also extensions of emmy bluff on the exploration and then tightening up this scoping study um, there is a lot of upside with this scoping study as well so really tightening that up and working through next phases trouble with scoping studies is you keep going and you keep getting upside and you can keep tweaking and you can keep pushing and i guess in many ways that's where i define the scoping study is that you can do that once you get to pfs you should have your base case locked down and know what you're doing um so we're still at that tweaking phase so expect to see some good news coming out of Chris, that as well thank I you hope. very much good luck with the year ahead thanks Merlin. thank you thank you